I'm having a great time with the research. We got to work on new problems. Not a lot of people are holding you to deadlines like they used to, so that's been really hard for me. It was an adjustment to become a student again, but I have a feeling that the most challenging parts are yet to come. I've realized that I've learned a lot and grown a lot as a graduate student. You're listening to Vitamin PhD, a podcast from Boston University delivering career narratives and skills know-how to supplement your doctoral studies. Hey everyone, I'm Maria Ayub. And I'm Jenna Zajek. And you're listening to Vitamin PhD. Maria, I feel like I haven't talked to you in so long. What's been going on? Yeah, you know, I've been busy with comprehensive exams. Um, We are in writing mode. Um, I've also been busy being a plant mom, not very successfully. Um, I have two succulents and one of them was doing super well. Like I was very excited about it. I'm just not, not much of a plant person. I've killed many succulents in my day, you know? Um, but this one was doing well and it was growing really tall. And then I looked over at it the other day and just noticed it was not looking so great. And so I'm kind of disappointed, you know? Yeah. Was it, was it in the sun? Was it not getting enough, like water or food do you think or I, I'm thinking it might have been an overwatering issue which is just like classic succulent mistakes and I thought I had learned by now but that's where we're at so I'm a little bit sad about that make um, a to guide with that thing with those I feel like with plants it's just like water them but I mean how do you know how much I don't know I'm I'm just I think I have to accept that I'm not cut out for being a plant mom and that's okay um, the other one's doing okay so far, knock on wood. Don't know how long that's going to last. Um, on the bright side, Hamilton came out. Super, yeah. super exciting. Have you seen it yet? I have not watched it yet, but I've heard great things. So I, that's on my to-do list. How Did you like it? It was incredible. Like, I think a couple years ago when the soundtrack came out, I didn't really understand the hype, nor mm-hmm. did I listen to it all the way through. I just was like, oh, this is kind of cool. But seeing it in action and like hearing these really poignant lines was just so, I I was just completely awestruck. And I think I got to watch it again to really absorb like how cool it was. Um, It was, it was just really cool. I highly recommend doing that. Yeah. I, I'd heard the soundtrack. My cousin loved like the musical as she had gone to see it. And I remember last summer, actually we were driving to um, Providence and she's like, do you mind if I play the soundtrack? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like I hadn't really heard about the musical. Like I think like vaguely, but I didn't really know about it. And she played it and I was like, it's actually like, I kind of got into the music. Like I just really like the beat of it. Um, and so, yeah, everyone was like raving that it came out on what, like Disney, was it Disney plus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet, but I'm planning to do a movie night this weekend. So that will definitely be on my agenda to watch. Yes. Very exciting. What have you been up to? Yeah, so, well, we have been having quite the heat wave. I don't know about you, where it's, like, humid, hot 90s, like, mm-hmm. yep. tropical. Um, so, you know, I uh, typically, I, I've been running a lot, and um, I've been, you know, now getting up super early to try to get out there by, like, 5 so that I can beat the heat, but it's still now at 5, like, in the 70s. So I'm like, all right, this is, you know, getting a little intolerable. Maybe it's a sign that I need to mix it up a little bit and take a break from running. So one of my friends from high school, actually, she um, was a lacrosse player and she got super into like lifting and like hit workouts. And I was like, you know what? Because I have a home gym as well, luckily, and have, you know, a lot of different weights and things like that. 
Um, so she actually was nice enough to send me like her workouts for like a week. So um, like everything she's been doing. Um, so I've been following that this past week. And let me tell you, running is my strength. <laughs> strength is my weakness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I haven't been able to move for days. I like, I, everything just, everything hurts. It's like to go to the ground, I get scared because I'm like, it just, I don't even know how to approach it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I completely feel that. I've been out of the lifting game for a while and just started recently too. And it is a miserable thing to restart or to start to begin with. It's just. Yeah. And you know what I notice? Like I'm hungry, like every hour. I mean, like it just doesn't stop. And I'm like, I'm not sure (laughs) in my head, but I'm like, I feel like I'm eating like all the time. Um, My stomach's actually growling as we're talking right now. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so it's been, but it's been good. It's like a couple days in and I'm already, you know, it's like immediately start feeling like just just stronger. Um, And it's just nice like working in that way. Cause I think, you know, as great as running is, sometimes you, it's like, you're just doing the same thing every day. You're not um, you know, challenging yourself. And I think now more than ever, is just kind of a good time to mix things up and, um, you know, try something new. So, so it's been going well, but I will, I'll keep you updated. I'm hoping that this, you know, um, soreness doesn't last too much longer because I'm really struggling, uh, you know, just doing daily activities now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing about weight. It's like it eventually, it, it really sucks to begin with, but it becomes like very rewarding later when you see how strong you've gotten. Um, so, you know, strength in muscles, strength in grad school, maybe we want to talk about that today. On that note, do you want to start us off? So today we'll be talking about grad school success, and we have invited Dr. Dan Fulford to join the conversation. Dan is an assistant professor in the Occupational Therapy and Psychological and Brain Sciences Department, and is also a PI of the AMP Lab at Boston University in Boston, Massachusetts. Dan, it is so great to have you here today. Thank you for coming. We're really excited to chat with you more. And we've also really enjoyed getting to know you through the classes that we've had with you. Um, Before we get into our main topic for today, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what led you to your research interests? Sure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the invite. So I'm, uh, by training, I'm a clinical psychologist. I have a PhD in clinical psychology. The model in, in clinical psych is, is a mentor-based model, so you really apply to work with an individual PI, um, a researcher, um, and you, the training is a bit unique in the sense that you're, you're kind of doing a hybrid clinical training uh, uh, research focus. So uh, in other programs, you might do your clinical training first or, you know, kind of in an like an MD, PhD, or an occupational therapy doctorate. But in clinical psych, you're really doing everything simultaneously. So then you do a year of, of clinical internship at the end of that. But you pretty, pretty much spit, split, sorry, it's not spit, but split 50% of your research time with um, about a, a, another 50% of a mix of clinical training and then like teaching responsibilities. So your clinical training is your, your training to become a psychotherapist, both an individual psychotherapist and kind of a group facilitator and also um, training and assessment. So psychoeducational assessment, neuropsychological assessment. Um, My focus in grad school was on mostly on mood disorders. The mentor that I worked with, Sherry Johnson, was a a clinical psychologist and expert in bipolar disorder. And that came about mostly 
Um, to be honest, after I, as a college student at UCLA, read the book An Unquiet Mind by Kay Jamison, this was her memoirs, uh, who, as a faculty member at UCLA at the time, she had a diagnosis of bipolar one disorder. And so that just really fascinated me, the whole idea of manic episodes and what those meant for people and really what, um, how somebody who, um, it, it kind of shifted my idea at the time around what mental illness is because I could see this kind of, this example, this person who was incredibly successful, um, but was also struggling with something very real and damaging to her kind of life course. So it, I was, it just really drew me in, it hooked me in terms of clinical psychology generally, but also kind of wanting to study mood disorders and bipolar disorder in general. Um, so most of what we know about things like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia and other mental illnesses is through either in a clinical setting where we might be doing an intervention or you know, psychological treatment or a medication treatment and kind of using interviews or survey-based instruments to understand more about these conditions or maybe even on the flip side, looking at um, brain dynamics and neuroimaging or EEG. I was interested in kind of understanding what, what does mental illness look like in daily life? Yeah, that's, that's really great. It's so interesting listening to how people, you know, throughout grad school transition to the research that they're doing now. Um, and, you know, even if they went in with an initial interest, just kind of how that got shaped throughout the process. Sure. That is, that's really cool that you've covered such a wide range of topics and that you've narrowed down um, to schizophrenia specifically. I don't think I knew that you had covered stuff like bipolar as well. You know, so that's a lot of getting into um, what you're up to now and kind of the, the interest you had in grad school. But could you describe a little bit just like your experience generally in graduate school? I would say in hindsight, overall, very positive experience for me. And I think most of the positive experience was really tied to a combination of a few things here. One, I would say primarily the mentor that I worked with. Um, she's just a phenomenal human being, um, very kind, very understanding, very intelligent, smart, driven. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, just somebody who was very supportive. Um, uh, other things that happened during grad school that were certainly on the positive end is that I met my current partner and wife. Um, I have uh, friends that I've had since then that we are all over the United States, but we still stay in touch. Um, I think that, you know, um, graduate school is so tied to your life stage in terms of just, you know, and, and when, you, when you think about PhD programs, people come from, you know, straight out of undergrad or they come, you know, they've, they've been in a professional uh, uh, capacity before and they kind of go back to school. Some have kids already and different kind of uh, responsibilities. For me, it was, I, I went to undergrad, I worked for a couple of years, I worked in a research lab for a couple of years after that, but kind of in a nine to five capacity. And then after those couple of years, I went to grad school. So I was kind of in my, you know, mid twenties at the time I started um, and left at, you know, around the age of 30. Um, so, so looking back, I think what, what was hard was just the, the, the pressures of grad school, all of the responsibilities, all of the different hats I was wearing. Um, but when I look back at it, I think, man, what I would give to go back to grad school right now um, and almost try to, you know, if I were to give advice to current PhD students, do whatever you can to live in the moment in the sense that, oh man, you know, this, this is really a special time, you know, the, the flexibility, the 
um, the kind of opportunity, um, it's really an inflection point, I think, for a lot of, of people's lives um, in terms of kind of moving into what you're going to end up doing for the rest of your life. So I, I think of it, I, I look back on it in very, very positive ways, but I also always want to acknowledge that there were definitely challenging times. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm glad to hear that you had an overall positive experience. Um, and I think you're definitely right that um, all of those life roles play such a huge part in how, um, how your grad program goes and all the different hats that you have to wear. And I guess, um, and I think you started to get at this a little bit, but as students transition between undergrad to grad to PhD programs, what do you think are the biggest challenges that they should expect to encounter? if you are coming directly out of undergrad it's a very different experience you know in terms of making that shift because i think when you when you move straight from undergrad you it's so much easier to fall into this trap of this is undergrad 2.0 right this is just the next level of undergrad i'm just going to be doing harder class coursework it's like coursework as you guys know is part of the phd experience but it's kind of a limited part of the phd experience it's it's more so a part early on so um if anything i feel like my experience in, in undergrad, the, the coursework was much harder than I think it was in grad school, because in undergrad, I was like, you have to basically know everything about a particular, you know, topic area, um, memorize everything, spit that information out in terms of tests, papers. Graduate school just isn't like that anymore. So I think that's where you need to kind of shift the mental state. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think about that, you know, when I transitioned from a bachelor's to a DPT program and then right into the PhD program. And I know Maria had also transitioned from a bachelor's um, into the PhD program. And we both experienced some of these, you know, mental shifts and challenges that you have mentioned. Um, so I think, you know, I know for me coming in, as you had mentioned, we had a couple classes. Um, more, you know, in the beginning of the PhD program, you do have those, but you also have these chunks of time. Like I would be like, oh, I don't have class till three or something like that. And it's kind of figuring out, okay, what do I, what do I do with that time? And how can I still be productive? Um, but also know that, you know, at some points it's okay to take a little bit of a break if you need to, and you don't need to be on 24 um, seven. And you touched on it briefly, but you know, what are some ways for students to be able to keep engaged in their work during shifts like that or times when they have, you know, just this open time where they don't know what to do with it? And in particular, you know, do you have recommendations regarding this, you know, time management and also just boundary setting? I've always been a creature of habit and routine in the sense that I, I need that. And I kind of need imposed structure to kind of get things done or I used to need that. And, I, and that carried over into grad school for me. And I'm, I'm always about, you know, kind of, you know, exerting the least amount of effort I need to, to get whatever I need to get done, which has actually, has really helped me, I think, now, because I have so much on my plate that I need to be incredibly efficient with the very, you know, limited windows of time that I have, um, especially now in this pandemic, where half of my time is with, you know, taking care of kids. Um, so that works really well for me now. It's like, Dan, you got one hour to do this, this, and this. Okay, got it, you know, boom, you know, 15 minutes, this, 15 minutes, this, 15 minutes. And that works really well for me. And I'd say to stay engaged, I mean, really, again, going back to this idea of planning, of structuring, of organization, of literally blocking out every hour of your day, it sounds a little bit kind of, you know, um, 
uh, rigid in some way or, you know, a little bit overly um, restrictive, but in, in many ways it's liberating because it's kind of, you know, when you can shift into the things that are a little bit more about vegging or like self-care or whatever, like you're literally putting those things into a calendar, you know, go to the bathroom, you know, 10 to 10.05 a.m., you know, whatever it might be, you're just plugging it into a calendar. So, you know, kind of you're keeping yourself on track. That I think can help you keep engaged. Um, I think, you know, in terms of um, beyond just the kind of micromanagement of time, um, having these goals that then you're breaking into weekly, monthly, you know, quarterly, six month annual goals, I think is really important. So if you have, I, I do think breaking down goals to at least, you know, um, at, the, at the minimum at the week level, will say that, you know, by the end of this week, this is what I want to have accomplished. In order to accomplish that, here's what I need to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday kind of thing. Um, and then to really be engaged in each one of those things, you can't, over, you can't spend too much time on any given thing. I think that, you know, we, we just, uh, we're too distractible. Um, so again, I, in, in, in addition to kind of academic or professional goals, I will have self-care goal, you know, build self-care goals built in. So right now, if you look at my calendar, you know, I have my, you know, I, I'm literally blocking in, you know, childcare time, you know, work time, but I'm also saying like run time, you know, these kinds of things. So I, I, I know that my exercise is built in there. All of those things are really scheduled for me. That really helps me. Um, and then in terms of, you know, boundary setting is is part of that right because you if you have self-care built into your calendar then that is the boundary um but from a from a bigger picture level you know you're always as a graduate student you're always working with a team and so that's where there's this fuzzy or blurry line between this is me as an individual PhD student. And then this is my broader context that I'm working with in terms of the PI and other grad students and staff. And so, you know, you're trying to um, set boundaries as well in terms of what is the time that you dedicate to those things versus the time you dedicate to the things that are kind of your own individual. And that all is always going to happen um, on a case by case basis. It's going to happen with discussions, open communication with, the PI that you work with and others that you kind of work, you know, if there's a postdoc on the team, other people that kind of help with the management. Um, and at some point, you know, you have to, you have to say no uh, to certain things. Um, I think the, you know, what do you say no to is, is hard to determine at times. And so I think, and I even, I think I struggled this actually probably most after grad school, kind of in my postdoc years where I was saying yes to everything because I thought, well, any collaboration that I can be a part of will potentially result in something that's going to be a, a paper or a grant or whatever else, these kind of milestone markers that I need to achieve. Um, the first time I, I, I remember the first time I said no, it was probably in my third year of grad school. <laughs> uh, and, and, and my PI, again, she was outstanding in every way, but she was a little taken aback when I said no. She was, <laughs> she was confused because um, I hadn't said no to that point. But and it it caused a little bit of uh, you know um, it was a little uncomfortable. And but then we we got through it and we repaired and everything was fine. And I and I still said no. You know, still we got over it. It was um, just something that I didn't think was going to be super beneficial for my 
development and also just seemed to be like it was going to take a lot of time and I thought I had a lot on my plate. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, those are all really great ideas. Um, I think I can, the blocking out your schedule really resonates with me. I think if I don't put in 30 minutes of yoga, I'm never going to do it. And um, also just setting those, those short and long-term goals. Short-term goals really, I think, get me through the day and then setting them for the week or the month even um, has been really useful. Um, my PI actually has us doing a spreadsheet of um, monthly goals right now and like having the dates put in as to like when we want each thing to be done by. And that's mm. been really helpful in being like, okay, I can see the entire month in front of me and what do I want to have done by the end of it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, I didn't talk about this, but you know, a lot of my work is actually in motivation science and sort of, under, you know, trying to understand more about what motivates, mostly in the context of people who struggle a lot with motivation. So, but goals themselves, setting goals is, is a motivator, you know, and we, we know that from decades of research in this topic, that, that it's a, a very critical motivator. And what happened, you know, the, the various reasons why, but the, the, the idea behind SMART goals, so something that's specific, measurable, attainable, is, you know, time limited, is realistic. If you set goals in that way, um, our brain can kind of process those goals and, and then get, like, tap into that dopamine, you know, in, <laughs> in those, those parts of our brain that really need that kind of activity to, to move us forward. If we think too long term, we're not thinking very much in kind of the, the more immediate present or future. We're, we're just overwhelmed with the possibilities. It's kind of this idea of decision fatigue or that we're just overwhelmed with too much time moving forward to really process what we need to do. So if we have those goals in short measurable chunks and the structure around it, it actually makes us more motivated to work on those things and then consequently more efficient and you know, um, we feel better about those goals. So like that, it's, there's science behind why that actually you know, works. Um, and sen like we talked a little bit about um, professional growth, but what about um, achieving personal growth? What would you say is your biggest advice on that? Well, that's a, that is a big question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're, you're just by nature of, for most people, again, who it's going back to developmental periods of, you know, where you are in your life stage, you're, you're in a period of substantial personal growth when you're, when you're working on your PhD. Um, so I think, I guess if I want to flip this a little bit, you know, one of the dangers of being a PhD student is that your, your PhD work becomes your identity. You know, you don't want it to be all of your identity and it can become overwhelming and all encompassing when you're a PhD student just because you're spending all of your time in the context of that identity. So, so what's important, I think, about life, you know, growth or personal growth is that you, you can reflect, I think, a bit on that in terms of what, who, what are my values? What, you know, who do I want to be as a, who am I as a person? Who do I want to be as a person? Um, I think it's also important, I think, to show a bit of gratitude, but it's kind of hard at times because you're so, you feel undervalued as a PhD student, PhD student, I think, and that you're working really hard, you're, you're not paid well, that's how the, the model works. I think there's a lot of problems with our, our current PhD model but there's a lot to be grateful for at the same time. <laughs> I think it, it's important to think that, you know, I, I was, I felt grateful that I was in an opportunity where I could learn, have protected time to learn, to build, uh, you know, to, for personal growth and professional growth and actually get paid 
even if it was a little bit, to do that. Um, and in terms of, you know, you're going to have to grow um, no matter what, just given the life stage. But I think if, if you can keep, again, um, carve out some time for, for your own personal, you know, interests and needs, it, you, you have to do that because you're going to, it's this really critical period of your life. If you're only focused on your PhD and only focused on your research and all these things, you are going to miss out on some critical, you know, life um, stages, milestones and kind of important things that really, um, you, I, you can potentially regret when, when you're done with all of this. So I think that's important to keep in mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, all of what you mentioned are really important things to reflect on um, and ultimately to, you know, help you determine, like you mentioned, kind of your identity, but also what you want to get out of the program that you're in um, and generally help you develop your relationships, both with yourself, but also with the people around you. You know, so we know in grad school that mentors play such a vital role and looking at the education from more of like a structural perspective, um, how would you say that, you know, mentors, faculty and other academic leadership um, can work together to help promote grad school success? Yeah, well, you know, there's so many things there um, that we could unpack, but, it, you know, when it comes to mentors, um, Maybe, maybe this is not the most encouraging thing to say, but I would say I think about this as I think about psychologists, you know, I, I think that there are naturally some very good psychologists. It is a set of skills, but in some cases, those skills cannot be taught, right? That there are kind of naturally good mentors that are really they care about their students in from more of a naturalistic, like per relational kind of way. Um, I'm not saying that other, you know, mentors don't care about their students, but I think some of them just have more challenges in relating to their students or in kind of serving in that role. Um, and they can be perfectly outstanding human beings, but that's just not one of their natural strengths. So I learned, I think, how to be a good mentor from my good mentor, you know, like it, it, it was passed on through and then I, I do think I, I just naturally enjoy um, mentoring. I just really, you know, like to talk to students about their personal and professional growth. And I like to offer advice and, you know, I kind of like to be in that role, but some folks just don't. And so that's kind of, it's, we've talked, and we talked about this in when I taught you guys in your doctoral seminar, but that you, your mentor, you should think of your mentor um, as a group of mentors, not just one individual, so that you can think about, well, my mentor may not be, for example, you know, naturally inclined to be super supportive. <laughs> um, but there are a million other people that are in my, you know, larger circle that could be serving that role. And so I need to reach out to those folks. And, and given that, that they're naturally good at that, they'll probably be very good at responding and, 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 and kind of being responsive to your, your needs. Um, so, so anyway, I think from a more structural perspective, I, I, I hinted at that a little bit, but I, I do think there's this kind of, we are all going to be limited in terms of what's a teachable skill, what's something that can be passed on. In terms of though, broader systemic or structural things that can support um, graduate students, if, if I'm talking about bigger level things, I think, well, it'd be helpful to have within each kind of research group, 
uh, a number of opportunities for people to mentor. So like different tiers of, you know, people in different professional levels of their career and kind of how they can kind of mentor each other. And then what I build in terms of our lab for the undergraduates, for example, is I, I have this structure where kind of I'm mentoring postdoc and I'm mentoring my graduate students, but my graduate students are mentoring my undergraduate students. And then some of my more senior undergraduate students are mentoring the more junior undergraduate students. So we're always kind of like, it's not just this, you know, one person at the top and everybody falls below. It's that we have different levels of opportunity for mentoring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, the, the different levels of mentorship are just so important. We have a similar structure in our lab where um, we have the PI and the postdoc, and then we all kind of filter down and mentor the undergraduate students as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's so helpful in learning, you know, how to be a good mentor myself someday. Um, and just like, you know, creates more of this system that you're not alone in as opposed to kind of just trying to figure out things by yourself. Yeah, I can't, I mean, it's, I, I just reflect back when I was a grad student, again, I had an amazing mentor. Um, and part of how, you know, why she was so amazing was that um, she, you know, my office was literally around the corner and she almost always had her door open and she was almost always in that office, you know? So it was kind of like, it was beyond just, here's my half hour, hour of meeting with you per week. It's like any question that comes up, I wish I could be more that way. I really want to, I mean, well, right now we're you know, doing everything over Zoom. So I really, or <laughs> kind of thing. But, but even before that, I'm, I, as a, as a young faculty, you know, junior faculty member um, with a family, you know, with all these other responsibilities, I can't just be there, you know, as available. So um, that's just been a, a challenge for, for me. For sure. Um, and I think that, you know, that draws back to like what life stage you're at and what program you transitioned out of. I think that's, you know, a huge, everything kind of culminates into this, uh, into all of that. I think uh, a lot of what you talked about today really resonates with us. Um, and, you know, the things that we talked about in doctoral seminar as well um, have reflected through this conversation. So um, we really appreciate all the insight and you taking the time to be here with us today. And we definitely hope that uh, some of what you've shared will impact other students the same way that I think it's impacted us. I hope so, too. I hope so, too. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, guys. If you'd like to learn more about grad school success and other topics in academia, be sure to follow Dan on Twitter at FulfordDrDR. You can also follow us on Twitter at Maria J Ayub, and that's A-Y-O-U-B, and at Zajac underscore Jenna, and that's Z-A-J-A-C. And of course, you can follow the podcast at B-U Vitamin PhD. Be sure to check out our next episode on mentor-mentee relationships. Until then, we'll leave you with this quote from Dan. Success is completely idiosyncratic, so no approach will be universally accepted as the correct one. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you can join us next time on Vitamin PhD.